Good morning. Well, I guess we're testing if there's two or more gathered. Uh, <laughs> he will be here. Okay, Caroline, you had something you, you wanted to uh, share? Okay. We've been collecting items for Lehman School on golf links, and this week I finally made contact again because they went through a big change with their principal and their everybody who was in charge and everything. So we kind of had to backpedal and wait until everything settled down. And I was able to make contact with a my first grader, Jenny, who is now the vice principal. And so I'm so excited about that. And she was able to tell me, oh yes, we definitely want your church to partner with us. And some of the items that they would like us to try to scour up are um, they have what's called a cheer, cheer cart that they roll around to all the teachers on Friday. And on the cheer cart, they have snacks and drinks and um, all kinds of things that they can pick from. So that's the kind of thing that would be really nice. If we would, the water that we have already would be very useful for that. And also just, you know, bags of snacks that you can get like at Costco or candy, anything like that. Right, same, same thing. And also paper, if we want to collect money for them to, or either that or buy a case of copy paper. Copy paper is in short supply in schools and often the teachers end up having to buy their own and stashing it in their rooms. So that's another thing that we could maybe contribute to is the purchase of copy paper. And we'll keep you apprised of all of that as we go along. We're gonna try, Linda and I are gonna to try to make a, a delivery once a month and the other part of it is that we will have the opportunity to write cards for each teacher at some point. We'll kind of rotate through the grades. There are 1,100 students there now, so there are a lot of teachers. So the cards would be encouragement cards, and Linda's already purchased a lot of cards that we can use, but we'll let you know when we're gonna start that. We just wanted to let you know about it. She was gonna do this today, but she's not here because she was exposed to COVID. So we're, um, we're gonna go ahead and get started to collect things, okay? Thank you. Yeah, we're gonna have you do that every week. You do this so nicely. <laughs> do we have any other announcements we need to make? <laughs> Let's worship our Lord. You know, with this special week upon us, um, you know, I think back about how when our pilgrims came over here, well, as John would say, say little pilgrim, um, we need to take a step back and really focus on what we are thankful for. And whether it's good, bad, or ugly, that in all circumstances, we need to give praise to God. And it is so appropriate that today's devotional is thankful in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer isn't just asking God for something we want. Prayer is also something that should include the confession of sin and praise to God for what he is and who he is and what he's done for us. Prayer should also have an additional element, and that is thanksgiving. Repeatedly, the Bible commands us to give thanks. The psalmist said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Jesus only distributed the bread he had miraculously provided for the crowds after he had given thanks. The last supper with his disciples, before facing the horror of the cross, Jesus gave thanks. It's easy to be thankful when God blesses us with something good like a swift recovery from an illness or an advancement at work. But the Bible also says we should give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness drives away the sour and prideful spirit. Make it a part of your prayer and my prayer every day. And the hope for today, actually it's prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the many ways you watch over and guide me. Give me a heart that is quick to give thanks for many blessings that you bestow. 
Thank you most of all for the cross that you have served, that has served for us to be set free. So with that in mind, um, let's go forth this week with that foremost and, and take over with the song. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Testament reading this morning is a prayer of thanksgiving from David in 1 Chronicles uh, 29, 10 through 13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God, our Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are the strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks and praise to your glorious name. I almost feel like saying amen on the end of that. <laughs> As we gather together, join us. 
Our New Testament reading comes from uh, Revelations, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all, of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the heaven, clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Yeah, join us in our um, responsive reading. O Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, which of thy unspeakable mercy towards us has provided meat and drink for the nourishment of our weak bodies, grant us peace to use them reverently as from thy hands with thankful hearts. Let thy blessing rest upon thy good creatures. And grant, we humbly beseech thee, O good God, good Lord, we do hunger, thirst for his food, so our souls may earnestly long after the food of eternal life. To Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the, we all belongs to you, all came from you. We know that you wished the, the uh, universe into existence. So all that is here belongs to you. All that is anywhere belongs to you. And you have entrusted some of it to us. But you tell us to share, to give back, to so that not, not everyone is given to equally, but we can share what we have and we can help others come to know you. So we ask that the gifts that we give are used wisely to, to further your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I'm gonna rise for the doxology.
Come on, Rick. Let's get to it. <laughs> may you be seated, you better be seated, because you're going to have to stand through the whole sermon. If you're, <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, well, this morning, um, we're going to take a day trip, kind of. Uh, we've been talking about Genesis, and we're going to take a day trip and talk about um, the companion to Thanksgiving. And I, there's two, um, two qualities that I think have a tremendous impact in our spiritual lives. And the first is Thanksgiving, that we are genuinely, not just, you know, kind of uh, superficially, but from the bottom of our hearts, that we are thankful for what God has done and, and really devote ourselves to, to being thankful. But the second part of it is also extremely important, and that is contentment. And normally on Thanksgiving, I you know, coming, leading up to Thanksgiving, I'll on uh, Thanksgiving, but I want to change, kind of change, a little change up this morning and talk about contentment and what that is, because I think the two go hand in hand. Um, we're thankful, but we're, we're also content with what God has given to us and who we are and so on. Our text is Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I think I have it up there. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength." Lord, we come before you this morning and pray that you will speak by your Holy Spirit to each one of our hearts. Thank you for the power, the beauty, and the eternal nature of your word. May your word, Lord, penetrate our hearts this morning. And, that, and may we be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. May we set our hearts to put into practice those things that you teach us uh, from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we live, um, and, and we certainly have seen a lot of this. Um, next slide. Show this next slide. This is, uh, uh, this is a, taken from Kenosha about a year ago. And um, actually, it was, I don't think it was even that long ago, was it? I don't remember exactly how long it was. But anyway... Um, we live, there's a lot of discontent in our culture. And it seems like, you know, people are, are uh, they're stirring up discontent, purposefully stirring up discontent so that um, there can be radical changes in our culture. And, um, and there's discontent about the vaccine, about the vaccine mandate, about our government, about divisions in the church, about our stagnating economy, growing inflation, inflation, about who we are, about our lives. It seems like in every area, there are forces out there trying to, purposefully trying to stir up discontent in our hearts. And the media, I believe, specialize in sensationalism to stir us up to discontent so that we'll buy more, we'll do more. And there are some radicals working to purposely sow discontent into our culture. And we see this, you know, the evidence of this all the time. Um, but I believe that God has called us as Christians to a different and a higher standard. 
right now. Uh, and then we'll talk more about, you know, we'll be talking a whole bunch about what that means. But he has called us to a renewed character, contentment with who we are, with our station in life, our financial provision, with how God has gifted us, with how God made us. All of that is part of the contentment that God has called us to. Now, we'll talk later. He hasn't called us to complacency. All right? It's not that we're called to just kind of sit back and, uh, and do nothing, but he has called us contentment. And contentment is learned. Contentment is not natural to us. Um, our natural state is to be discontent and, and you know, and, and so on. So, and God wants to set us free from getting our self-worth from our wealth, our identity, and the source of strength from this world. Because we can only do this in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's, let's talk about it. What is contentment then? What do we mean when we say contentment? Contentment is that attitude of mind that's satisfied with whatever is available. In classical Greek, it meant self-sufficiency or independence. In Stoic philosophy, and the word came out of Stoic philosophy, Paul borrowed it out of Stoic philosophy, and it said, in Stoic philosophy, and we, we get this in, you know, when we talk, he's, a, he's very Stoic. And what we mean by that is that, yeah, that man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and be able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. So the Stoic then, it described a man who is emotionless, or a woman who is emotionless, a wooden impassivity. And the man who, nothing can touch him because he's totally withdrawn from the world and totally withdrawn from other people. Well, Paul borrows this word and attaches new meaning to it. And he talks about that it is not independence, but it is Christ's dependency. We're not seeking independence from this world. We're seeking Christ's sufficiency, Christ's dependency, yet independent of outward circumstances. And it describes a person who, th through discipline, had become independent of external circumstances and who discovered within himself in Christ, resources that were more than adequate for any situation that might arise. And, and we have in Christ, that's the whole idea of it, is that in Christ we have all we need in order to be sufficient, in order to uh, carry on this life. We have all the resources available. So what we're saying is that contentment is a matter of perspective, not circumstances. Okay, let me say that again. Contentment is a matter of perspective. It's not, you know, we, we, we constantly, we, we look at, you know, we say, well, if, if only this happened, or if only that happened, or if only this hadn't happened, I, I, I believe I could be content. But what Paul is saying is that it is not a matter of the circumstances and the things that happened to us, or the things that have happened to us, but it's a matter of our perspective on those things that have come our way and will come our way and are coming our way right now. Benjamin Franklin said this, contentment makes poor men rich, discontent makes rich men poor. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read it again. Contentment makes poor men rich, discontent makes rich men poor. In other words, we can't be we can't be really rich in heart if we are discontent. And that does not matter on how much we have. Martin Luther said, Contentment is a rare bird, but it sings sweetly in the heart, or in the, in the breast, he says. It's a rare bird. And that's what, we'll talk more about that in a moment. So what we're saying is this, that our success in life is determined by our attitude not by circumstances. Um, in, a, in a book called Attitude, Attitude by Charles Swindoll, he said this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. 
It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We have the, we have, you know, we have a choice as to the attitudes that we have. And then he says this, and I love this phrase. He said, the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, we, 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 we look at all the strings and we say, we've got to have the whole thing in tune. And God says, you only need one string, and that's attitude. If you have the right kind of attitude, the right kind of perspective, you can handle it. I am convinced, he, this is uh, Chuck Swindoll again, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Okay, you can't control most of the stuff that happens to you. And you can't control a whole bunch of the stuff that already has happened to you. We don't have control over those things. Now, you know, some things we do, but most things we don't have control over. You're going to get hit today. You're going to get hit tomorrow. You're going to get hit this week. It's Thanksgiving week. And guess what? Your relatives are coming. <laughs> and, and so you're going to get hit with stuff, you know, and thoughts and that kind of thing. And... What Swindoll is saying, what Paul is saying, is that we can play on the one string we have. We can have the right kind of attitude. Now, contentment is not withdrawing from other people. We as believers are called to intense engagement with other people's problems. In other words, the Stoic would say, well, I'll just withdraw from society. I'll withdraw from other relationships. I'll withdraw from those things that will, that will trigger wrong attitudes in me. But Paul is saying here that that isn't the solution. The solution is that we learn to have a right reaction to the circumstances that come our way. In love, we reach out to those who are struggling, yet at the same time, we are called to commit to contentment. So we're involved, we're, we're called to engagement in the lives of other people. The same time we're called to contentment in our own hearts and a, and a Christ dependency in our hearts. Because love gets involved with other people, taking on their problems and helping them when they need a word of encouragement or a shoulder to cry on. Um, I would lift up my wife in this regard. Um, she is incredible. I, she's always involved with somebody some, somewhere, um, you know, calling or running across them or whatever it is, she is, um, she is involved with the lives of other people. And I believe that that's what God has called us to do, is to be involved with people. But at the same time, God has called us contentment. It's kind of a strange sort of thing, uh, you know. In other words, we can't just withdraw from life. Well, I can be content if I just don't interact with all those people and all that stuff that's, that's thrown me off course. The next thing we need to talk about is the difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is not the same as complacency. We as believers are not to be complacent either about our own spiritual progress, nor about justice in the world, nor about the proclamation of the word. In every way, we are not to be complacent about who we are, where we are, and what we're involved with in other people's lives. We are called to press onward. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So catch that verb. I press on. Uh, it's an active kind of thing. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on again, he says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we are called, 
uh, both to be involved in the lives of others and not to be complacent about our own spiritual walk or justice in the world and all those things and all that stuff that's out there. We are called to be involved, in other words. Paul was hardly complacent about his own spiritual walk. Now, let me differentiate this. In Islam, um, we, there's a term, um, and I, I know the Turkish, I don't know the Arabic in it, but it's kismet. Um, and maybe you've, you know, you've heard that term, terminology before, kismet. But kismet is that it's kind of a resignation to whatever happens to you in life. Okay? You just, you know, it, uh, and God, the, the Muslims would say, is both, um, he's the author of both good and evil. So when bad things happen to you, the Muslim will say, um, well, you know, ishtebele, or they'll say, they'll, say, uh, they'll say something like, you know, that's God's will. You know, your, your sister dies, and well, that's just God's will. Well, we as Christians, we don't go there. Because God is not the author of evil. God is the author of good. Now, evil happens to us, and so we find resources in Christ to deal with that, but we don't say that that's good. It's not good that your sister died. It's not good that you're sick or that, you know, that a friend died from COVID. That's not good. That's evil. But we learn, to, we learn to deal with that through Christ, through what Christ gives me. The Serenity Prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. He says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. There's a whole lot of what happens to you. You just simply can't change it. Courage to change the things I can. Some things you can change. When evil comes, sometimes we have a string to play on. Sometimes we can do something about it. And we ought to have courage to do that. And wisdom to know the difference. So we can get all stirred up trying to change things that we can't change. And that isn't from God. Or we can not change the things that we can change. So complacency, complacency is not changing the things which we can change. That's what it is. It's just saying, I can't change that. I can't change anything. I'll just accept it all. That's kismet. That's just uh, fate. Okay, let's go back to our text, Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, Watch out, this is Jesus' words, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All right, I love that. I go back to this verse often, think about it, meditate on it. Life, your life, and success in your life, and, and I'm talking about inner, inner success, is dependent, uh, it is not, does not consist in how much you have. And I've known very rich people. God has, uh, we have some very rich friends. You know, and I thank God for them. They're, they're, and, and some of them, it's been a burden to them. Others, it's been a blessing. And they're able to bless other people. But, and I've also known, you know, I've, we've done so much travel internationally and met so many people all over the world. And I have found people with incredible contentment and who have abundance in their hearts, even though they have so very little. Um, and what's, you know, sometimes really hard for us, We'll go, you know, to um, Kyrgyzstan or something like that, and, and people will serve you a meal that, that you know costs them absolutely everything they have, and they will serve you, and I, and I you know, it's hard for me. I, I, I think, well, I, you know, I don't need that. I'd be just fine with rice, because I, I can always get more, but they can't. And so sometimes it's really hard to say, okay, I received this and I thank you for it. Um, 
But the point is this, that the abundance of our life does not consist in how many things we possess. In fact, possessions can keep us from real life within. Hebrews uh, 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money, and I love this, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So life is a whole lot more than what we own, or what we achieve, or how well we're recognized, or how much praise we, see from, we receive from other people. True life consists in finding our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. Period. Matthew 6, 19. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in my own life this week, um, we had three light bulbs burn out. Um, my truck, some kind of smell in it is strange when it's been running. I don't know what that is. Uh, we have weeds in the lawn, which I planted. The cupboard in the motorhome needs glued. There's three brakes in the drip system, which I have yet to fix. I fixed one of them, two more are still, still outgoing. So the point is this, the more we have, the more that we are involved in taking care of stuff. That's what Jesus said. Where rust, you know, everything, everything in this world is deteriorating, including us. I hate to say it, but we're all in the process of deteriorating, and everything that you own is in the process of going south. All right? And, and, and part of, you know, as we've been learning in Genesis, part of what God did in the creation was he spoke order into chaos. And that's what we do a whole lot throughout the week, don't we? We are restoring order to the chaos of our lives and the drip system, and, and whatever it is, you know, that we happen to be concentrating on that week. It's something is always falling apart. And we, yes, and we got hacked, yeah, so, <laughs> on our computer. So, you know, it's one thing after another. It's always something. And furthermore, thieves break in and steal. So we have to get insurance, okay? You have that nice home. Now you need insurance, you need homeowner's insurance. And you've got that car and you've got to have car insurance. Well, you've got to have health insurance, some kind of health insurance. And, you know, and on and on we go, trying to keep thieves from breaking in and stealing. Now the message from our culture is that we cannot be content without the latest thing which someone wants to sell us. The problem is, it's going to fall apart <laughs> it, it is in the process, from the moment you buy it, it is in the process of deterioration. And you're trying to keep it from totally, de, you know, being a mess before it's, so you can get some use out of it. There's a Persian proverb that says, I murmured because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. I love that. Have you heard that before? Yeah, okay. Um, Japanese proverb, even if you sleep in a thousand mat room, you can only sleep on one mat. <laughs> so there might be a thousand mats out there, and, and you might have six cars, but you can only drive one up. <laughs> okay, that's really, that's kind of our, our version of it. Now, I am richer than almost all of the people in Turkey. Now, I'm not a wealthy man, but I am richer than almost everybody in Turkey, okay? Um, I look and I go to, you know, Vary and I, we have, we've gone to very wealthy people's homes in Turkey, and I have the same kinds of things that they have. And so we have, in the United States, we have an incredible amount of stuff, don't we? Now, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think we all have an enormous amount of stuff. In fact, 29.4% of the world's wealth is found in the U.S. Here's a little chart of it. Um, this is the wealth worldwide. The United States has 105 
trillion dollars worth of wealth. Uh, China, 63 trillion. Japan, 24 trillion. Germany, 14 trillion, and so on. We have, you know, more than almost a third of the world's wealth is found in the United States. So uh, there is no reason why we in the United States cannot be content with what God has given to us. I don't, I think there are very few of us who are wondering if we're going to have enough for Sunday dinner today. It's more what we're going to have rather than are we going to have anything. So if contentment came with lots of stuff, we would be the most content world in the uh, country in the world. And yet, we have an enormous amount of discontent in our nation. So I want to I um, kind of extend what Paul was talking about. Paul was primarily talking about financial, being content with the things that you have. But I want to take it a step further um, with being content with how God has made us and gifted us. Because that's also important. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that the works here is, is us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are, you know, our lives are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And then this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not an accident. You are, God created you and he created you the way he wants you to be. So we are to be content not only with what we have, but with how God has made us, with the gifts and talents and background and interests that he has entrusted to us. So I ask the question, are you completely comfortable with what God has given you? Are there physical defects which you want to hide? You know, I kind of laugh sometimes. You know, my younger years, um, and we, we wear clothing to show off our, our great, you know, prowess or whatever it is, or our beautiful bodies or whatever it is. As we get older, we buy clothes to hide all those things. <laughs> so so we're, we're really trying to just, you know, hide those stuff from other people. So, you know, this doesn't, well, this shows off that part of me that I really want other people to see. Are you comfortable with your looks? Do you rejoice in your figure, your height, or your bald head, or your beer belly? God made you the way he wanted to. Maybe not the beer belly. That might have been too much beer. But, but he made you the way he wanted you with the body he wanted to give you. And we can be content not only with the things we have, but with the things that God has, the way God has made us with those gifts and so on. So as people then, we look at others many times to get our self-worth. And contentment is that we are content with the way that God has made us, with the gifts that he's given to us, with the life he's given to us, with the parents he gave to us, with the background he gave to us, with the intelligence and, and the looks and the so on, whatever it is. Because our worth comes from God alone. It is said of Paul that he was ugly, short, had problems with his eyes, and was not at all attractive. Yet we as the Gentiles, we have a great debt of gratitude for what he did to bring the gospel to us. So, contentment then means both contentment with what we have, but also with who we are. So think of that this Thanksgiving. You know, as you're, as you're eating that turkey and, and, and developing that beer belly, think of, of that, you know, you are a gift from God that God has created you the way he wanted you to be. All right, let's go back to the text. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that Paul 
had learned how to be content in any circumstances. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, Paul gives us a, a glimpse into some of the things that he encountered in his travels. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, that is the Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I mean, pretty much everywhere he's been, there's been danger there. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. So contentment then, Paul says he learned contentment whatever the circumstances. So he had learned through all of those things that he encountered, he had learned even in the midst of all those circumstances, he had learned to be content. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we read, that was read this morning. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, how many have seen The Hiding Place, the movie of The Hiding Place? Corey Ten Boom? Okay, most of you have. Not most of you, some of you have. Well, it's a really good, um, really good movie. If you haven't seen it, you can probably get it on Netflix or whatever. Um, but the... The one who wrote it is Corey Ten Boom, and the Ten Boom family were Christians in Amsterdam. And, and they were hiding Jews. They, you know, they felt like God had called them to hide the Jews from the Nazis. And so they had built a special compartment in their attic where they could house Jews, and they had a constant flow of Jews into, uh, you know, that they hid from the Nazis. Well, they got caught. And they were the whole, uh, not the whole family, the mother had died before, but the rest of the family were all um, sent to concentration camps. And they were at one camp, and then they were, they were um, um, sent to Ravensbrück camp. And the barracks were extremely crowded and infested with fleas. I mean, it wasn't exactly the greatest circumstances to start with. And they were there in order to be exterminated. That's what, that was the purpose of it. And as they read one morning from 1 Thessalonians, um, this, is, this is Corey and her sister Betsy. They read 1 Thessalonians and, and then, you know, the the. Scriptures that we just read, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so they read that and said, okay, and, and Betsy said to Corey, Corey, let's give thanks for the fleas. <laughs> and and uh, so they said, all right, we're going to give thanks for the fleas. And they started praising God for the fleas in their barracks. Well, <clears throat> Later, they realized what was going on. The guards were not coming into their barracks, and they were always harassed by the guards, and the guards were no longer coming in the, into their barracks because they were afraid of the fleas. So they, they, that place, which was a, a hell for them, actually became a place of refuge because the guards would no longer come in there. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we know then that God works for our good as believers. That's what it says. But Paul goes on and he says, not just that he was content, but he says he learned how to be content. So it wasn't natural. Contentment is not natural for us. It is something that we have to learn, and unfortunately, we usually learn it through circumstances in which it is easy not to be content. 
A Greek proverb says, nothing will content him who is not content with a little. And many times, we, it, is, it is scarcity that actually teaches us how to be content so that we can enjoy that when we have plenty, we are still content. We're content in both ways. Paul said, I've learned how to be content whether I have little or whether I have much. And embrace both of them wholeheartedly as another gift from God. Now, Paul is not saying that it is easy to live in need. He's just saying he learned how to live in need. And part of what God does in our lives is he takes us to times of scarcity, either financially or in some way or another, he takes us through difficult situations so that we will learn how to be content in those situations. And I've also been, you know, uh, praying a lot lately and just, just reflecting a lot. Um, we spent a lot of years with very little. We're not like that now. We have more, more things and more, you know, um, we're not living in need. But God has been teaching me both to, you know, he taught me for many years and taught us many years how to be content with need, with, with scarcity. But now God is teaching us how to live with plenty. And both of them, Paul had to learn both of those things. He had to learn how to, how to uh, depend on Christ in times of scarcity, but he also had to learn to depend upon Christ in times of plenty. And sometimes, and sometimes that's really difficult to do it God's way. And that's what I've been praying. God, teach me how to live in plenty your way. Teach me what to do. Teach me how I should live. Third thing that Paul talks about is that learning contentment is a secret. There's lexicon talking about this, says, um, this, <clears throat> this uh, word, I have been so disciplined by experience, it says, that whatsoever be my lot, I can endure. And contentment is a secret because, not because God tries to keep it from people, but because it is a secret that we have to learn. It is not natural to us, it's not natural for any of us, to be content. And we have to learn it, and it is tough, and it's arduous, and it's a secret. And learning the secret is used in the Greek mystery religions to describe people who had worked their way up through the various lower degrees and had finally been admitted into a full possession of the mystery itself. So it was the, the mystery religions, they would work their way up through the different levels, and eventually they would reach... Um, they would learn that secret. Well, Paul had worked his way up through the degrees of detachment from worldly possessions and could say that he had learned the secret of contentment from possessions. Contentment no matter what he had. Chesterton said, true contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. It is arduous and it is rare. So in other words, we need to seek God. How do we learn the secret of contentment? Um, I think I've, I've used this illustration before, but um, our, our friend Andrew Brunson, um, and he wrote a book. And how many of you have read God's Hostage, Andrew Brunson? Okay, uh, I'd really recommend it. It's, um, and, and for this reason, Andrew records in the book, he's absolutely honest, about the struggles that he went through. And I've read very few books that are like that. I mean, he goes into all his struggles, all the stuff that he struggled with. Said at one time, you know, he was, he was uh, having a really rough time and he got an email from his uh, mother and, and she said, buckle down, son. <laughs> you know, you can do this. Huh? He, I'm sorry, he was in prison, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, Andrew was in prison two years in Turkey, uh, actually in a place that we, it's right up where we're church planting, right up in that region. And, uh, and so, 
But Andrew went going through all of this stuff, eventually learned how to praise God. And he records that in the book. How he came to the place where he could praise God for his circumstances, for being in prison, for being in a crowded cell with a bunch of Muslim radicals. I mean, it was really a rough existence. And he said for about a whole year, he struggled with God and he struggled with being there. Finally, he came to the place and he said, I've learned, you know, he learned how to be thankful for what, where he was because God was in the process of teaching me things. Okay, so how do we learn contentment? Well, it's all part of the process of dying to self. We are dying to ourselves. As Christians, we are called to a life of dying to the things that we, that, you know, that are important to us. Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So God has called us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him. And part of contentment is just a simple process. It's a process of dying to those needs and desires that we have, and we think that we cannot possibly live without those things being satisfied. That's what it means. We're independent of circumstances. We... and. <coughs> so that we are content with whatever the circumstances are in our life. It's a dying to ourselves, a dying that your needs are not the most important thing in your life. The most important thing in our life is, is giving our lives to Jesus Christ and following him and being led by him and, and giving up those things that we think we absolutely have to have in order to have life. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, and I love this phrase, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we think, Lord, if you give me you know, all the things that I would like, I'll, I'll, I'll just do really well. But much of that is a, is a lust of the flesh. It is something which... which um, you know, we think we've got to have fulfilled. And God says, it's not that. It's following after me. And he says that we abstain from fleshly lusts because they war against the soul. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went, sold all he had, and bought that field. So what Jesus is saying is that that Jesus is so incredible that whatever we have to give, whatever we have to sell, whatever we have to get rid of in order to gain Christ, it is all worth it. And I think that's what he means in Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, we quote that verse often, but the context is, living and learning how to be content both in times of scarcity and in times of plenty. And we're celebrating, you know, this week, Thanksgiving. And the pilgrims, as you remember, came over from, <coughs> from Holland. They came over and they had absolutely nothing. They, they, they sold everything they had. They, you know, whatever they could take on the ship, they did. And they ended up in... Massachusetts, what we now call Massachusetts, and they had absolutely nothing. That first year, 47 of those who came died. About half of those who came over died. And so it was the next, and they had a good harvest in the summer, and so Thanksgiving takes place with them giving thanks, setting aside a day to thanks and give thanks to God for what they did have. So, same kind of thing as, as, as Paul. They learn how to be content with plenty or in want. So as you're, you know, eating that turkey and living in scarcity this week, <laughs> think, think about and ask God. Say, God, will you teach me 
how to uh, be content no matter what I have, living in plenty or living in scarcity. Will you teach me how to be content? Will you teach me and, and work that deep work within me, that dying to myself, so that my life is not taken up with just trying to get stuff for myself. My life is spent in service to the Creator. Let's pray. Father, we pray, and I pray, and Lord, this is, uh, this is hard stuff to be content no matter what. But we thank you that we have the inner resources. You've given us everything we need for life in you. And I pray that this week that you will just remind us of the joy of living in your presence whether we have much or whether we have little, that we can rejoice in you and find our sufficiency in you. Stir up our hearts, Lord, to love you more, we pray. And remind us of that throughout the week, Lord, that we serve the living God who has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, let us take this lesson of contentment and let us take it into our hearts. Know that you have given us all that we need and the, the biggest need was your, the, the gift of your son dying for us so that we can be saved. Lord, let us realize that you give us plenty and we will have plenty to share. Lord, Allow us to be content, be satisfied, but not be complacent. Lord, these lessons, let us take them into our hearts 
and use them every day. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.